seems especially effulgent, like the Brahma effulgence, washing our curtains. And there's a little complication because they're old um, lace curtains. So, anyway, it'll be okay. But we meant to get it back up and we couldn't, so it's a little bit glaring. So, soon as time go down. So, thank you for coming, though. And tonight we're going to hear from the Kulgovinda, who's one of our um, main uh, devotees here. And he's going to be speaking on the flow of appreciation. So, we're very happy to have him. Welcome everybody. Happy you're here tonight. It's good to see you too. Last time I saw you was on Fourth Avenue. Probably saw us out there dancing. Jamming. Good to see you again, Alan. It's two days in a row. Krishna's pulling you in. <laughs> so in the yoga, um, not, yoga texts speak about how the mind operates. And the function of the mind is to always be appreciating or uh, thinking ill of something. So the mind is constantly like that. It's like a, a constant flow in our life of liking things and then disliking things. So you have on Facebook, like button, and now you have the unlike button. Or you have the angry button now, too. <laughs> so constantly, this is um, the nature of how <coughs> the mind operates in our life, and we can see that. But there are specific instances um, as we progress in our life where we've gained deep appreciation for certain um, things, certain activities, certain people, certain lifestyles. And I was meditating on that, and these are actually really large turning points in our life. They're really significant. And I can think growing up specifically of certain people that I encountered that um, really impressed this deep appreciation in my life and how this actually changed the entire direction of my life where I was going. So I'd like you also to think about this. Um, I remember when I, um, when I was growing up, my parents really impressed upon me the importance of a, of a spiritual community and spiritual life. Um, every every day we would do we would pray we'd have an altar and we would sing hymns together as a family and we'd also have a daily Bible study where we sit around the table and my father would read passage from the Bible and we discuss it and we went to church at least three times a week growing up but that was when it was just a regular week when it was like Lent or Advent we would go almost every day. So this was not only um, something that we did, but it actually became a, our identity, became my identity um, growing up. And I actually gained a deep appreciation for um, a faith-based family and lifestyle because I could feel the, the energetic um, comfort 
of being in an environment where people were sincerely trying to be better people, be people of God. Um, not that it was always like that, but there's people around me, such as my parents. My parents really wanted, wanted this for us, wanted this in our life, and were sincere. Um, my mother had quotes around the house of you know, beautiful psalms and Bible verses, and she would have insomnia, and I see her in the middle of the night reading the Bible. So it really impressed something really nicely upon me, and it was a deep appreciation I gained. And so this became part of my identity. And then as, as I was progressing in my life, um, my dad as well, he, he really impressed upon me um, how exciting baseball is. And he used to take us to the Cleveland Indians games in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And we used to play catch in the backyard. And so I really got into baseball. My dad enrolled me in Little League. And I, and I would play and try to get better and start collecting baseball cards. So this was a deep impression and appreciation I had. And later on, I met a friend who was part of the church. He was older. He was in his 60s. But he loved basketball. His name was Lawrence. And he used to play old school basketball in New York, street basketball. And he was famous for his left hook, you know, his make. And um, he, he really, he started talking to myself and my brother about basketball. And he started showing us these videos, started showing us these videos of Michael Jordan. And all of a sudden, you know, we wanted to start playing basketball. And we found ourselves, really, that became my life for a large part um, from the age of like 11 to, to 18, even through college, simply because a deep appreciation was impressed in my consciousness from this friend of mine. And he would encourage us. He would say, oh, you all are going to be, because at one point, he, he was way better than us. He said, you, you, you all will be running circles around me in no time, he would say. So we were really, we were really um, motivated by him. And then later on in life, um, I had a friend who introduced me to um, politics. <laughs> and, and I wanted to save the world through uh, following a particular politician and, and, and trying to regain freedom and liberty to America, reestablish the Constitution. And so this became a part of my life. I started supporting a particular politician, political campaign, studying free economics books. And, and this became um, a deep appreciation I had. So the same thing happened when I met on the devotees of Krishna. And this this trajectory really allowed me to uh, change where I was heading um, in a really wonderful way and bringing back to the roots of, of when I grew up um, doing faith-based practices and in a deeper way connecting to that and, and forming that um, much deeper appreciation than I ever had for spiritual life. And so I'd like you also to just consider different uh, people or times in your life where you met somebody and, and they really impressed upon you a deep appreciation for a particular way of life, a hobby, something or other. And then see how that took you on a particular path. It actually enveloped you and took your energy, took your passions in that direction because of that, uh, that meeting, whether it be auspicious or inauspicious, meet particular meeting. 
And so oftentimes growing up in the West, we think of things are just happening. You know, the scientists say um, things, molecules and chemicals are moving and they're forming things and then they're coming apart and it's just happening by chance. But actually, everything's happening for a particular purpose and reason. And it's said that the Supreme Lord, the source of everything, is situated in our heart and is noticing our different desires and aspirations we have and is fulfilling those desires. And so um, there's a particular story. There was a, a very poor man who lived in the forest and he used to daydream about um, having a big mansion, having a beautiful wife, having a wonderful family. And in this way, um, he, would, he would go through his day. And one day he happened to sit under a desire tree Desire tree, spiritually, um, when, you, when you have a desire, immediately that desire is fulfilled. It's called a Kapalavriksha tree. And so as he was under this desire tree, he was daydreaming as he usually did. And these things started to manifest. A big house, a beautiful wife, and all this opulence came. And so very quickly he saw, wow, my desires have been fulfilled. But in, in our experience, Although the desires are fulfilled, it takes a lot longer oftentimes for that to happen. So we don't see it right away. The different motivational speakers have um, referred to um, the secret or, or the, the, the power of manifesting what you, what you desire. So this is a fact. So they, they know that this energetically works in this way, but they don't know how it works. They don't know that there is a, a supreme person who, who, who cares and guides each and every one of us and is, is detecting these desires within our heart. And so um, the flow of appreciation is so important to understand because what we appreciate will arise in our life in time. It will come to us in time and we can, we can see that. And so when we when we try to um, look around and, and appreciate those things that will lead to um, a wonderful destination. That's what um, Krishna consciousness is about. It's about understanding that there is um, a wonderful destination in store if we begin appreciating the right things. If we begin cultivating the right environment and right desires, we can start heading in the right direction and we can achieve um, a state of, of higher consciousness, being free from, from negative energy. There's a negative flows of energy too in this world. And so um, we, may, we may wonder, you know, I've, I've been around spiritual communities. I've been in environments where people are practicing spiritual life but I haven't gained such a deep appreciation. Because the appreciation that we have is evident based on what we decide to do, what we decide to invest our time and energy into. This is evidence of, of, of our appreciation or, or lack of appreciation. And so how do we gain a deep appreciation for spiritual life? First, we have to realize what, what spiritual means. And spiritual means that we um, purify our heart 
from all those things that get in the way of, of the bliss of the soul awakening within us, the deep happiness that is intrinsic to who we are awakening, and to begin moving towards a space of a deep loving connection with um, the all attractive source known as Krishna, the source of all pleasure, all bliss, all happiness, and all beauty. So that's really what spiritual life means. So first having that awareness, but how do we really do it? Well, there's a, a, a nice little story that, that Srila Prabhupada, um, he told. He said that one time there was um, a, a mystic yogi, and he would impress people with his mystic feats. So once there was a king, and the king issued a challenge and said, because there was a freezing cold river, he said, if this, if this yogi can, can stay um, in this river throughout the night, then he will win this particular uh, prize or benediction. And so the yogi went ahead and did that. And everybody was astounded. However, the king, he, he, he noticed that there was a lamp uh, at one temple at the edge of the lake from the, from the far distance. And he said, I believe that this yogi use his mystic powers to pull that warmth towards himself. And in that way, although it looked like he was performing the feat, he actually didn't. And so he didn't give him the prize that he had promised. So later on, the next day, he was waiting for his breakfast, and his servant was, was, was cooking the breakfast, and the breakfast wouldn't come. And so he was asking his servant, where is the breakfast? I'm very hungry. He says, well, it's cooking. You just have to wait and give it time. And, and so he continued to wait, and the breakfast wouldn't come. So he angrily came into the kitchen, and he saw that the pot uh, with his meal was hanging from the ceiling, and the flame was on the floor. And so the servant said, you see, in the same way that this, this flame cannot cook the food, how is it that you believe that yogi took the warmth? So you should fulfill your promise. And so the king followed suit and he said, okay, I'll give him his benediction. Like that. So I tell that story to, to relay the point that if we want to gain a deep appreciation for, for spiritual life or anything, we have to get close to the fire of where that appreciation um, capacity, where it lies. And where does that appreciation capacity lie? In somebody's heart who has awakened that appreciation. If we get close to an enthusiast on, on any given subject, whether it be material or spiritual, that fire of enthusiasm from the heart of that person will transfer to us. And I gave some examples in my own life earlier. Someone was very enthusiastic about baseball or basketball or so many different things. And that, that enthusiasm transferred to my own heart. And then I wanted to cultivate that. I put many years of time, energy, and effort into those things because I got close to somebody who had a deep appreciation for those things. And if we examine our life, we'll see that that is the case. There are certain people that have influenced um, our appreciation for different people, topics, and ways of living. And it's extremely powerful. Because appreciation, the appreciations that we form determine our destiny, determine where we're going. And so bhakti yoga is so wonderful because not only is the process extremely beautiful and extremely attractive and blissful, but it's the best destination possible. 
And when we begin appreciating um, Krishna consciousness, um, and we get closer to people that also are appreciated, then we're going to find ourselves um, in an environment that breeds more appreciation, more beauty, more bliss and connection with spiritual life. And so we can see, we can see that where people, like for instance, where people place um, their investments in, in society, there's, there's, a, there's an, a wave of emotion that comes when people appreciate a, a particular investment opportunity. And that wave of emotion um, creates more people to want to invest in a particular stock or company. And in that wave, that stock increases. And we can see that. Same time, society deems a particular investment to be um, not so good, and people pull their energy out of that, so therefore it depreciates. It depreciates in value. So the more that we catch this wave, this energetic flow of appreciation in the direction we want to go in, the more we will be energized in that direction. You can see because it's actually a fact that if we appreciate somebody that is doing the right thing, that is moving in the right direction, it's a fact that they will be able to do better. It's also a fact that we will also begin to imbibe these same qualities that we're appreciating. If we focus on that, on that positive growth in ourselves and others, that will grow and that will cultivate. You know the definition of, you've all heard this, the definition of a weed is something that you don't want in the garden, right? Because a weed is subjective. Something could be somebody's most prized plant. For someone else, it's just a weed, so they pull it out. Um, there's a story with Prabhupada, he was walking on one of our farms, and um, somebody was pointing to different plants and explaining to Prabhupada what they were. And then, and then he pointed to a particular plant and he said, oh, well, this plant is useless. And Prabhupada looked at him and said, you are useless. <laughs> he said, you don't know what this, what this plant is used for, therefore you call it useless. And actually, this plant has a particular function. It has a healing function um, that you, you don't know about. Of course, he said it in a loving way. Prabhupada was very loving. So anytime one of his disciples was chastised, they felt happy. Because, <laughs> because they were enthused by his, his love. And so we, all, we can also view our life like a, a garden. And, and when we start to cultivate um, the destiny that we want, then we focus, we put our attention and our care and our love into those areas in our life that we want to grow. And does it help when we go outside to somebody else's garden? Does that help? It doesn't help to pick apart somebody else's garden. But our own garden, our own in intimate circle of, of, of the spiritual community, friends and family that are trying to grow together, we try to cultivate that in the right direction. Um, and in that way, that will grow into something very, very beautiful and something wonderful. So there's four ways to, based on what the, what the great teachers, uh, sages have taught, there's four ways to view, view appreciation. One is, well, first is to recognize that the mind has a tendency to look for the negative. And if we focus on the negative externally, then that negativity will grow in our own life. 
We don't want that. So the first thing is to try to go within and to and to um, examine where our weaknesses are. Um, just by doing that won't rectify the weaknesses, but we should know so that we can know when we are making progress. So that's that's the first thing is to realize the tendency of the mind to focus on the negative externally, but it's better to go within and see where our own weaknesses are. Next is if we praise or criticize the material energy consisting of the three modes of nature explained in Bhagavad Gita, that doesn't do anything for us. It'll simply keep to keep us entrapped in the energetic flows within the modes of nature in this world. Sometimes we'll go here, we'll appreciate something and we'll go this direction, and sometimes we'll appreciate something else and go in this direction. But ultimately we stay within these lower energetic vibra vibration. We'll stay within the three modes of nature. So the, the Acharyas, the great teachers say, it's not so good to praise or criticize um, the modes of material nature in this world. But it's better, it's better to praise the good in this world if we are going to praise something within the modes of nature. Better than that is to praise it in relationship to the source, to God. That's, that's very good. Then, then that rises above the modes of nature and it starts to connect this, the beauty here, the wonder here with the supreme source, with the all-attractive source. So best to praise transcendence. That's the best. Praise um, the source of beauty, the source of love, the source of bliss. When we do that, it's said in the um, Bhakti text that we begin to take on those same qualities. Remember we were speaking about how we, we, we catch these, these waves, these flow of different energies in different directions. So when we, when we catch that transcendental wave of appreciating the beauty, the supreme beauty and qualities of the supreme source, Lord Krishna, the, the most attractive, the most, um, the most funny, the most fun, uh, the, the greatest artist, we begin to appreciate Krishna, we begin to take on the qualities of the divine that are actually within us. It said in the Bhakti text, when we cultivate this uh, appreciation uh, by chanting the names of Krishna, um, chanting, glorifying the qualities, uh, glorifying transcendence, that that natural state of transcendental consciousness, of happiness, and love, these qualities that come from the soul awaken within us. So they're already there, but they begin to rise and manifest out. And so um, Lord Jaitanya, who is the most merciful uh, head of the Sankirtan movement, who started the blissful chanting and dancing that uh, you all see on the floor sometimes, <laughs> started this, this most merciful um, giving the, the sacred names of God to the whole world, the most intimate names of God that relate to um, his personal features, which, which generally are, are not given freely to the general public, but he's coming to give it. He, he gave an instruction that, that actually, although uh, one particular poor man thought that he was poor, actually, he said, actually, a astro astrologer told him that he's very rich when he went to see an astrologer. He said, you have to go to your father's yard, backyard, and you have to dig. You have to dig on the east side, because on the east side of the yard, there's a treasure, and this is the treasure of bhakti of loving devotion to Krishna. 
says, don't go anywhere else. You don't start digging on the north and the south or on the west side. Simply dig on the east side because that's where you're going to find the greatest treasure. If you try to find solutions um, through mental speculation, through approaching God in an impersonal way to merge into God, or, or you, you just get caught up in the ritualistic practices of, re, of religious life, then you'll have a different result come. It'll be a negative result compared to, to like wasps and snakes <laughs> and demons. There'll be a, a poor result that comes from that. But if you, if you focus on the east side, you'll find there's a great treasure. And simply stay there and dig deeply. Go deeply into the practice of Krishna consciousness. Begin developing this appreciation for this loving devotion to God. And in that way, the, the rich, the, the, the wealth within your own heart will, will, come, will come to the surface. And you'll become extremely happy, extremely blissful, and connected. Um, and so I remember, too, um, there was a priest in my, my church growing up, and he did impress upon me. He was very sincere, and I heard many, many sermons, and I don't remember a lot of them. But one thing he did say, and I remember one week, as he was telling us, he said, you know, your heroes, your heroes should be the saints. And we should, we should teach our kids to make their heroes the great saints, the people who selflessly give to help humanity and to serve God. Those should be our heroes, not the celebrities or the rock stars or um, you know, Superman, Batman. Those, those shouldn't be our heroes. But our heroes should be the saintly persons. And that really um, went deeply within my heart. And, and I, I thought, yes, but yes, that's wonderful. I want to be like a saintly person. You know, maybe I'm not there, but that's the destination I want. I want those wonderful qualities that are intrinsic to persons that devote themselves to God to rise within myself. And so Lord Chaitanya, because God has unlimited good qualities, but he spoke about um, 26 qualities that specifically arise within somebody who has began devoting themselves to, to God, to Krishna consciousness. And um, I'd like to read them to you. I put them in a few and um, four different um, like stanzas just to remember them easier. So they flow a little bit. But just so we can take away these qualities and if we can begin appreciating these qualities and, and realizing that the way that these qualities manifest is there's only one way. There is no other way besides devoting ourselves with love and service to Krishna through sanctifying our existence by getting close to the all-beautiful, all-attractive Lord. And that's what the, the, the Srimad Bhagavatam says, that all the good qualities manifest in somebody who's done that. And so we can aspire, we can, if we get appreciation for these things, these things will appreciate in our own life. And so, kind to everyone, equal and faultless, respectful and clean, simple and benevolent, free from dissension, peaceful and meek, compassionate and friendly, humble and mild, without material desires, self-controlled and sane, regulated in eating, silent and charitable, completely attached to Krishna, expert and poetic, fixed in the absolute truth, steady and grave. So these are the 26 qualities of a devotee. And we have one minute if there's any quick question.
So yeah. Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> so if you don't fulfill all the costs and if um, you don't fulfill every aspect of what you're talking about, which are beautiful, does that, is it better to wait to fully immerse in Krishna? No. We want to take the solution right now. Like if we're if we're sick, we should begin taking medicine right away. So the sooner we begin diving in and practicing bhakti yoga, the sooner that we're going to become saintly. And 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 Krishna actually he he unveils those qualities that are already there within our heart. So when he when he sees that we want to turn, we want to surrender, we want to be close to him, they become they become manifest. That's all. Because the soul is already like that. Those qualities I described, that's the nature of the soul. So we can begin right now. Thank you. Uh, I think we're we out of time. One more question? Okay, Tarun? My question is, you expressed some things that were said before. Wishful thinking Wanting something doesn't mean it comes true. Lots of kids want to be basketball stars. People don't want to die. People want to be God. They can't get to be those things. So just wishing for something doesn't make it so. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, he says, Tesham Satatiluktanam Bhajatam Priti Purvikam Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam Yena Mamupayantite. He says Dadami, he says he's speaking to us actually in Bhagavad Gita. He says, when you, when you want to come to me, when you, when you devote yourself to come to me, I'll give you the intelligence within to come to me. And he says also in Bhagavad Gita, I will carry what you lack and preserve what you have. This is our intrinsic nature. This is our birthright. It's like, speak about the Jewish tradition, the birthright. This is our birthright to be devotees of Krishna. So not only can we, but this is who we are. This is eternally who we are. We are eternally loving servants of Krishna. And, and this belongs to us. This relationship with Krishna is part of who we are. Okay, thank you all so much. And now, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.